Well, happy Lord's Day, church family. Today we are continuing this teaching series from the books of First and Second Thessalonians on uh, what happens when Jesus comes back. Not looking at the things leading up to his return, but what actually transpires the moment Jesus comes back. What will that moment, what will that day be like? And hopefully you've been reading in our Bible reading plan this week and this coming week the books of First and Second Thessalonians. Today we are in chapter 5, chapter 5 of First Thessalonians. You remember last Sunday we looked in chapter 4 at his coming. It will be sudden. It will be unexpected. Um, it will be visible. Everybody will see it. Everybody will know it. It won't be a secret. There will be a resurrection of the dead. And those who are alive, together caught up with him in the sky, and are bodies, the living and the dead who are followers of Christ, transformed into a glorified spiritual body, a heavenly body ready for heaven. Well, today we're going to look at some more truth about the moment. What happens when Jesus comes back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So hope you have your Bibles open there. Let me see God's Word written, electronic. What do you have? You got it? Always bring it with you. Let's start at verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Here's what the Bible says. Now as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, talking about fellow believers... Are none in the darkness, and that the day would overtake you like a thief? For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. You are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since you are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Three things in particular I want us to see from these verses about the events that will transpire at the very moment Jesus comes back. And here's the first thing, is that for unbelievers, those who are not followers of Christ, those who do not love Jesus and not living for or serving Jesus, they will be surprised, they will be caught off guard, and they will be an absolute shock. Look at what he says in verses 2 and 3 again. He said, you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them and you know, suddenly like the labor pains of a woman with child and they will not escape. That image of the second coming of Jesus being like a thief in the night is common in the New Testament. Jesus used it. You see it in the Gospels. The Apostle Paul referred to it that way. Um, the Apostle Peter referred to Jesus coming like a thief in the night. 
John the disciple in his letter called Revelation in your New Testament. It's, it's like a, a thief. And here's the thing about that. Thieves, listen, if, if a thief is, go, a thief is going to break into your house, he doesn't call you. He doesn't send you a text message. You know, he, he doesn't get on social media and broadcast and say, hey, you know, at 1 a.m. on July 12, I'm breaking into your house. Thieves don't do that, right? They don't announce it. They don't tell you when. They just surprise you. And that's what the Bible means when it says the second coming of Jesus is like a thief in the night. He's not telling you when. But he says, I'm coming. And most people will not be ready. Not be expecting. Not be looking. They're going to be surprised. They're going to be caught off guard. It will be sudden, as we talked about last Sunday, and unexpected. And they will be very surprised. He said in verse 3, They'll be saying among themselves, safe, safety and you know and peace. Everything's okay. We've got nothing to worry about. In our culture today, most people are not antagonistic toward faith and toward Jesus. Some are, but most aren't. They're not hostile. Most people are simply indifferent. They don't care. It's not on their radar. Most people, they don't think about eternal life they don't think about the afterlife they don't think about god they don't think about being ready about being right for god it's not on their radar now for some people it is but for most people it's not they're not paying attention they're not thinking about it they don't get up on sunday morning and think wow i ought to go to church it's not on their radar they are spiritually asleep And as he talks about in this passage, whether they know it or not, living in spiritual darkness, living in spiritual apathy, spiritually asleep. And when Jesus comes, they'll say, what, what, what's, it'll be sudden, they'll see it, they'll know it as we saw last Sunday, and they will be totally caught off guard and be in total, absolute shock. Many of us, Remember vividly the morning of the terrorist attacks on 9-11 in New York City and Washington, D.C. I'd already driven to the office that morning and uh, heard about it on the radio. Drove back to the house because that was before, you know, you could watch TV on your phone from anywhere, anytime. And so I had to go back to the house, didn't have a TV at the church, and watched for an hour or two. Then went back to the church and organized a citywide prayer meeting that night. And all across this country, people just stood or sat in stunned silence, watching the events unfold on television, just in silence as those twin towers collapsed to the ground, just in shock. Nobody expected it. Nobody had seen anything like that before. That day pales in comparison to the shock that unbelievers will feel the day Jesus comes back. It will be a day of absolute surprise, absolute shock, as they are caught completely off guard. The second thing 
It will be a day, a day of great pain and great suffering for unbelievers, those who are not ready and not following Jesus. In verse 3, which we read a moment ago, he says, That day for them will be a day of destruction, and it will come upon them suddenly like labor pains of a woman with child, and they will not escape. The word destruction there does not mean annihilation or the cessation of existence. Sometimes when you read that, you think, well, that means they're just totally destroyed and done away with and they don't exist anymore. No, that's not what the word means. It, it means a, a time of great ruin, of great suffering. Paul uses that same word in the book of 1 Timothy in the New Testament. In chapter 6 of that book, he, 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 that's where he says, the love of money is a root cause of all kinds of evil. In that same passage in verse 9, Jesus or Paul said, Those who get rich fall into temptation and a snare, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. There it is. It's this idea that, that you can make a mess of your life. You can bring all kinds of pain and all kinds of problems and all kinds of suffering on your life. That's what this word destruction means. And the Bible is telling us that when Jesus comes back in that moment, for those who are not believers, those who are not ready, those who are not right with God, those who are not loving Jesus and living for Jesus, it will be sudden ruin, sudden destruction, sudden suffering for them. In two weeks, we'll look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. But briefly, verse 9 in that chapter says, For them it will be eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. In other words, they will not spend eternity in the presence of God. Eternally removed from the presence of God. Eternally removed from the presence of Jesus. And if you're not in the presence of Jesus, that means you're not in heaven. That's what this ruin is. That's what this destruction is. And it is eternal. It is forever. Back in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, down in verse 9, talking about believers. He says, God has not destined us to wrath because of Jesus. We've been forgiven. Our destiny is not the wrath of God upon us for our sin. We've been forgiven. But the destiny of those who are not believers is wrath. Wrath they merit, wrath they deserve, wrath they earn because they are sinners who refuse to accept the atoning death of Jesus on the cross, who refuse to repent of their sin and be cleansed of their sin by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so they will experience the wrath of God. That's what that day will be for everyone who does not walk in faith with Jesus. And he says in verse 3 of chapter 5 that it will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman and they will not escape. The meaning there is this. When you go into labor and it's time for that baby to be born, guess what? Baby's coming. You can't stop it. <laughs> Baby's ready to be here. Baby's coming and you can't undo it. You can't stop it. Baby is coming. And when Jesus comes, no escape. You can't stop it. You can't change it. You can't undo it. He's coming. And as we saw last Sunday, it happens in the twinkling of an eye. 
No time for you to get on your knees and get right with God. No time for you to pray and ask Jesus to forgive you and come into your life and save you. It is instantaneous. It is immediate. It is sudden. You will be in shock. You will see it, but it'll be just like that. This week, many people been following the story of those five individuals who died on the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean this week. In that 20-some foot submersible going down to get a close personal look of the, of the Titanic on the bottom of the, of the ocean, two and a half miles deep. And the best evidence suggests that at some point the pressure and something with that sub, the pressure, and it just imploded, which means it was squashed like a can of sardines. Instantaneous, immediate death. No time to react, no time to speak, no time to do anything, just pow, and it's over. And so it is with the second coming of Jesus Christ. If anyone is going to be ready for the second coming of Jesus, they will get ready before it happens because when it happens, you don't have time. It's too late. You do it now or you never do it. And that day will have changes take place you and I cannot begin to comprehend. The apostle Peter one of Jesus' disciples. In his letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, said this about that day. Look at it up here on the screen. He said, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. There's that image again. In which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? In other words, if you know what the future holds, you better be ready. And if your disciple, a follower of Jesus, live like it, obey him and be holy and be godly. Let's look at the next verses, verse 12. He said, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, the promises of God in Scripture, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, it's not just that at the second coming, our bodies are transformed into a heavenly body. At the second coming of Jesus, the entire universe is going to change. And he's going to remove sin and the consequences of sin. And the only thing that will remain is righteousness. God is going to undo sin. And we will live in a heaven, in a universe that sin has not touched and not tainted. That's the reason the Bible says on that day, God will wipe away every tear from your eyes and there will be no more pain and no more suffering and no more sorrow and no more death because God gets rid of all that as he remakes the universe, as he changes us. It's going to be a day, listen, there has never been a day in human history remotely like the day when Jesus comes back. And so for unbelievers, they will be caught off guard and in absolute shock, but it's too late for them to do anything about it because everything changes on that day. 
everything changes. And for them, it will be a day of pain. But for those who are believers, not just believing in your mind Jesus is real, but those who trust him and have faith in him, who love him, live for him, committed your life to him, true believers, it will be a day of great blessing. Because we're ready for that day. In verse 4, he says, But you therefore, brethren, are none in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. We're ready. We're prepared. We don't have to worry about it. We'll be safe. And he says, You're going to be blessed, down in verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for the obtaining or receiving salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you say, wait a minute, preacher, I thought I was already saved. Salvation has three tenses to it. Past tense, you have been saved. The moment you gave your life to Jesus, you were saved. You were forgiven. You became a child of God. Present tense, you are being saved. You're working out your salvation. In other words, you are growing in Christ's likeness. You are growing in, in godliness. Your salvation is working in you to, to develop you spiritually. It's what some refer to as sanctification. And the future, you will be saved because at the second coming of Jesus, you will in that moment receive the totality of every blessing, of every promise God has given us that is connected to salvation. You see, I have some of it now, but I don't have all of it. On that day, I'm going to get all of it. I'm going to receive all of it. I've been forgiven. I'm forgiven now. But every promise of Scripture about Christians, about believers, that is connected to salvation will be fully completely totally ours we experience all of it on that day it's that day when we receive that resurrected transformed heavenly spiritual body it's on that day he wipes the tears from our eyes and death ceases to exist and there's no more suffering it's on that day Temptation vanishes because sin is undone. It's on that day there's no more struggles. It's on that day that we begin eternal fellowship with God, seeing him. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. It's on that day I begin living in that place he's prepared for me to live forever. It's on that day that heaven, heaven is something that all of us will see who know him. See, right now, right now, it's like we have a taste of salvation. But on that day, we get to enjoy the whole meal. Yes. So that day for us as disciples is going to be a day of great, great blessing. But what about until that day? What about now? Some things I want to share with you from this passage. And three of them are positive. The first one I worded maybe a little bit negatively. And it's this. Here's the first one. In the right now, the here and now, do not, this is just a caution, do not become consumed, 
Don't be consumed with study of the end times. Now, don't leave here and say what I didn't say. I did not say never study it. I said don't be consumed by it. Most of us have known people, it's like they walk around with a chart of the end times in their pocket all the time. And the only classes they want to take at church, the only thing they want to study is all about the end times. It's as though they are consumed by it. Notice in verse 1, he says, As to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Why did he say that? Well, back in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he went back to the Father in heaven. Just before he ascended, he was standing there with some of his followers. And they were talking. And they asked Jesus a question. Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Notice Jesus' answer. He said to them, it is not for you to know. It is not for you to know the times or the epics. The same words Paul used in verse 1. It is not for you to know the times or the epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority. That God the Father has fixed the day of Jesus' coming. And he said, it's none of your business. That's my paraphrase. You don't know it and I'm not going to tell you. The Father knows. You don't. Jesus in Luke 12, 40 said, For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, But of that day and hour no one knows, not the angels, not the... Jesus said, I don't even know. Only Only my Father, the Heavenly Father knows. You be on alert. You be ready. Because you don't know when your Lord is coming. So when people walk up to you and they've got all these big charts and they're trying to tell you every single detail and they've got every detail figured out and this is when he comes and this and this and this and this. Don't get consumed with that stuff. Because sometimes people who do that make their assumptions and their interpretations equal to the word of God and actually claim more than the scripture actually says. And not all of them, but sometimes it's almost like some people have more passion for understanding the mysteries than they have for knowing the master. Spend your life knowing the master, serving the master, obeying the master. He tells us, here's the truth. God tells us in his word what is going to happen when he comes back. But he doesn't tell us when. He tells us what but not when. And faith is okay with that because I know what, and it's good for me. It's good for those of us who know Jesus. Nothing to worry about. Don't live in fear. Second practical thing in the here and now. God wants you and me to live with a confident and expectant hope. Don't live defeated. Be pessimistic, negative. Don't live in fear. It is amazing how many so-called Christians live in fear and trepidation all the time. God doesn't want you living that way. In verse 8, But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. I really don't have time to develop all of that. But I do want to say something about the end of verse 8. When he said, as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Put on like a helmet, the hope 
of salvation today. You parents, when your kids are learning to ride their bicycles or their skateboards, you put on a helmet. Knee pads and elbow pads sometimes. You ride a motorcycle. If you want to live in an accident, you wear a helmet. In ancient times, when people would go into war to battle, they'd wear a helmet of sorts to protect the brain, to protect the head, because if your head was struck in battle, you died. And God is saying, here's what protects you from bad thinking and wrong thinking and, and, and misleading emotions is you wear a helmet on your head. And what is that helmet? It is the hope of salvation. Hope is not something you wish for, but this Greek word is a certain expectation. God has told us what's going to happen. So I don't have to know when to know what. He's told us what is going to happen. And it's a beautiful day of blessing for those who know him. And it's a frightening day of terror for those who don't know him. But because we know, we know, and we have confidence. He said, that helmet, that truth, that knowledge protects your thinking so you don't live in fear. When you live in fear, you're not thinking the right stuff. You're not focused on the right stuff. We have hope and it protects us, it guards us, knowing the future. See, it doesn't matter if everybody in the world believes it. Whether they believe it or not doesn't change anything. Live with hope and confidence. Two more real quick. What are we supposed to encourage each other? Build up each other's faith. Look at verse 11. He said, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Believers discouraged. Believers grieving the loss of a loved one or a bad diagnosis from the doctor. Believers struggling because somebody made fun of them, because they were persecuted. Encourage each other. Because we know how it turns out. We know the promises of God. We know the blessings that await us, the reality and the fullness of salvation. Encourage one another in that. And then lastly, share the gospel with those who are not ready. Share the story of Jesus with those who are not yet believers because not everybody is ready. He talks about that in this passage. He says there are people living in spiritual darkness, spiritual apathy, as though they are spiritually asleep. Do you know what you do when you witness to somebody? What you do when you invite someone to church. What you do when you share your testimony and your story with someone. And what you do when you talk about Jesus with people. Do you know what you do? It's like you're going into their house in the middle of the night. It's 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. And they're sound asleep. And you reach over and you, you, you brush, you push on their shoulder trying to wake them up. And they don't want to wake up. Why are you bothering me? Leave me alone. I don't want to wake up. They're asleep. But you're trying to wake them up because they're sleeping in a burning house whether they know it or not. And you're trying to wake them up so they can get out because it's not the burning house they have to be worried about, but it's a burning hell. They're not ready. And many of them are in apathy they don't care, but because you love them, you're trying to warn them, help them to see what they don't want to see. 
And love will let you do no less than that. That's what you do when you invite people to church. But somebody's got to wake them out of their spiritual slumber while there's time before it's too late. In verse 10, after verse 9 where he says, we obtain all this salvation through Jesus who died for us. Who died for us. See, the death of Jesus is the only thing that makes it possible for any of us to be ready for the end times. The death of Jesus is the only thing that makes it possible for us to avoid the wrath of God that every human being rightly deserves because we are sinners. The death of Jesus is the only thing that makes everlasting life and heaven available to us. And so I'm asking those of you in this room and those watching on live stream or television, are you ready? Have have you placed your faith in the crucified and resurrected Jesus? Have you committed your life to him? Are you living for Jesus today? Are you ready? As I asked last Sunday, I ask again today, if Jesus were to come back an hour from now, For you, would it be a day of rejoicing and blessing because you receive all the blessings of salvation? Or for you, would it be a day of shock? A moment of shock and fear and destruction and wrath. Which would it be for you? And if your answer is I hope or what I sort of, I think, that's not good enough. Because hoping doesn't get you there. Knowing does. Do you know Christ? Do you know Jesus? Pastors are going to stand here as we sing this song. And I'm asking you to come to one of these pastors and say, Pastor, I'm not ready. I would be in shock and pain. So right now, I'm coming to Jesus, and I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I want to know him so that I don't, I don't have to worry about that. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to live for Jesus the rest of my life out of gratitude for all he's done for me. Come to one of these pastors if you'd like to join our church or be baptized as you saw earlier. Many others need to kneel at this altar. Because you have children and grandchildren, brothers and sisters, parents and cousins who are not ready. If Jesus came today, they'd be in shock. They're not ready. You have friends and neighbors, classmates, people you work with, people you go to the lake with, people you go to the beach with, people you go to the ball games with. They're not ready. And you need to pray for them. And you need to also pray that God will give you the confidence to go into that house and wake them up in the middle of the night and say, let me tell you about Jesus because you need to know. You need to know. So I want us to stand and when we sing, you come to the altar, you come to one of our pastors. Everyone standing right now, please. Father, help every man and woman, every person in this room. 
to have the confidence and the faith to obey you right now. Amen. As we sing, make your way to the altar. Make your way to a pastor. Come on, quickly, right now. Just start walking. Come on, right now.